All right, everybody. And, uh, and happy Labor Day. So everybody who works, thank you. You're awesome. Thanks for working. And, uh, and today, also thanks for being here. So we, uh, we want to welcome everybody at, at Legacy uh, Campus as well as at Woodbridge, Sloan Creek, Richardson, Espanol, everybody online, uh, wherever you are right now. Um, as today, we continue the series we started last week called Home Team, which is about helping us uh, build our relational world in a way where our best relationships, our most important relationships get better. And it's, there's a sermon series attached to that, but also on September 21, on that Saturday is the Family Now Conference, and I'd really encourage you uh, to come to that. I know Christy and I are looking forward to it to get really sp- a lot of specific things about how to make all these relationships better. Um, but today uh, we're continuing it. We're in week two. Uh, as I said last week, if you were here, we were going romantic the first two weeks. Uh, have you been feeling it all week? Yeah, not so much. But anyway, that's OK. We'll work on it. So last week we started talking about romantic relationships leading up to this ultimate uh, romantic relationship that God invented this thing called marriage. And uh, last week we focused on before you say I do. And so if you're if marriage is something you're looking forward to or thinking it might happen for you one day and you missed last week, I'd encourage you to go back and podcast that or watch it online. This week we're talking about when you say I do. Or like the song we just heard, the maybe you say I do to do to do do to do 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 or whatever it is, right? And uh, and because it, that is a milestone and that's that's important, right? But that's actually just the the start when you get to that point where you say I do. I know for Christy and me, I remember when we were at that church in Huntsville, Alabama. In fact, here we were, 1989. Um, aren't we cute? I know. And uh, and and it felt like. Such a culmination, right? Getting to that point. I mean, I remember in our relationship, I remember when uh, we first knew each other, we went to the same high school and she's a couple years ahead of me in school. And so we didn't know each other super well, but I remember opening the door when I was 16 years old in my house, I had a party and she came with another guy, but she came and, uh, and I remember, you know, seeing this beautiful girl and I had no idea when I opened that door, I'd be married to her one day, right? That's pretty awesome. And then in college, we met each other again uh, on the beach in Panama City, Florida. And we're saying, hey, when we get back to Alabama, you know, I'm going to call you and, and did. And I remember, you know, calling her that first on the for that first date and the nervousness about calling her. And how am I going to do that? And what am I going to say? And is she going to say yes? And she did say yes. And then about the third date, uh, she backed out of that date on the same day. She had to do something in the lab. And almost wrote her off. That was almost it because she broke the date. I'm glad I didn't write her off. I'm glad I asked again. And she said yes again. Uh, we started dating more and more. We, she went to Japan for a mission trip for four months, uh, which was hard, but also really good in our relationship. We continued to date, got engaged. And then you're planning a wedding. And there's so much work in planning a wedding and you're doing all this stuff, doing all this stuff. And finally you get to that church and you stand in front of each other after all that. And you say, I do. And she says, I do. It feels like we already did it. Like we, we did it. Like, yeah, you know, I got her. I talked this girl in. I tricked her into doing this. You know, it's awesome. And, uh, but actually when we stood up and say, I do, we actually hadn't done anything yet. Really. We just promised to do something, right? We, we stood up and promised when we say, I do, that's not the 
That's not the finish line. That's just the starting line to say, okay, um, let's, let's do this. Uh, and, and let's, let's build this together. It's kind of like when you go to Ikea to buy furniture, you know, and you go there and there's some really cool stuff at Ikea and, um, well, it's not working. You look at it and, uh, and it's like, you know, all put together and it's so awesome. Right. But you buy the stuff at Ikea and what do you buy? You don't buy it all put together. Right. What you get, they, they you know, you, you end up getting this box. And the box has, you know, some of the components in it and the wood and the hardware. And you get these directions and five different languages. But it doesn't matter what language it's in. It's all equally confusing. And then they give you that little Allen wrench, you know, <laughs> supposed to do it all. And and there you go. Right. And you get to put it together with with what you got. Speaking of that, this is we have some Ikea furniture. This is in Caleb's room. My youngest son, Caleb, and I put it together years ago. And uh, it looks so cool in the store. And. So we, you know, we got the directions, right? We're putting it together. And so we put it together. And did you notice anything unusual? Yeah, this, this piece at the bottom, that's a different color. Um, so we put it together and Christy comes in and says, yeah, that looks good. But tell me about this piece at the bottom, because the one in the store, you know, doesn't have that. And uh, it's the same color. And we're like, oh, no, no, this part of the design, you know, it's totally, she didn't buy that. And then uh, we said, well, it's, it's Ikea's fault, right? They gave us the wrong piece of wood or whatever. The truth is, we just got a little impatient with following the instructions. But we end up with a custom Ikea product, <laughs> right? Um, but all that to say, when, when you and I stand up in front of somebody, and, and some of you have done that before, and maybe we'll do that again. Uh, some of you have done that in the past and are still married. Some of you are looking forward to that or, uh, or not. But, you're, you know, that may happen one day. When you and I stand in front of somebody and say, I do, really, all, we're, all we've done at that point is we're committing to build something together that can be really cool and sometimes frustrating and sometimes enjoyable, but we're building something. And so today we're going to look at the box. Uh, we're going to look at the instructions on, hey, what is it that we're building and how do we do this when we say, I do and we're really going to look at all the way back to the beginning of marriage and the Bible in the book of Genesis, like we did last week. We're continuing that this week. So there's other passages in the Bible that get a lot more detailed about how to do marriage, how to be a husband, how to be a wife. But in Genesis, we get the overall design. We get the schematics. And so we're going to look back at that passage and say, OK, what are the basic building blocks or the basic components, uh, the design components of marriage? And for those of you who maybe marriage is something ahead for you, a real opportunity to say, yeah, if I'm going to say I do, what am I saying I do too? for those of you who are newly married, an opportunity to clarify that. And for those of us who've been married a long time or at some time opportunity to kind of benchmark our marriage against those components to say, hey, which one of these three maybe do we need to work on the most to make our marriage better? And so let's look at the passage all the way again, all the way back in Genesis when God creates humanity, creates Adam, then creates Eve right away, creates this thing called marriage. That is why a man leaves. This is why God says that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. So that's the basic design of marriage. Jesus later, when he comes, quotes, he's asked about marriage. He quotes this passage and then he adds this statement. It's going backwards instead of forwards, but oh, well, uh, he adds this statement. What God has joined together, let no man separate. 
that this bond is not just a human to human bond. God's involved in this bond. When you and I, this is a holy thing. When you and I stand before God, you know, we commit, this is a God commitment and he's part of it. And it's designed to be this permanent relationship and all that. We'll talk about that. So that's, Jesus adds that to it. But let's look back at the, again, the basic passage in Genesis 2. That is why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. So three components. And the first one, at the very heart of marriage, is a promise. We're just going to have trouble with this all day, I guess. So, uh, is the promise. That the heart of marriage is not a feeling. At the heart of marriage is a promise. What keeps marriage together is not a feeling. What keeps marriage together is a promise, is a commitment. And you know that's the way God designed it to work. That's actually what love is from a biblical perspective anyway. When we commit to love somebody, it's not a feeling. It's something else than that. But we talked about that a few weeks ago in a sermon where I quoted a pastor in Atlanta that I, I was there and, and heard this message on marriage. I said it was maybe the, one of the best talks on marriage I'd ever heard. And I don't remember anything about the talk except one sentence. Anybody remember that? And he said this. The key to a great marriage is to make love. And as a husband, that really caught my attention. It's like, I love this guy. And I wish he was my pastor. Like, he's that's awesome, right? And you think, you know, amen, hallelujah, roll tide, gig him, hook him, whatever you say, sick him, whatever you say. But the key to a great marriage is to make love. But then there's the dot, dot, dot. It's to make love a verb. The key to marriage is to make love a verb. Because biblically, that's what love is. Love is a verb. In our culture... We kind of see love as a noun. It's something that we fall into and out of. It's something that just happens to us. It's like we, we, we're out of control. It comes on us and it leaves us. So somebody will say, oh yeah, I fell in love. And, and you just got to go with it, right? Because you fell in love. Or maybe, and you get married and then you're not feeling it anymore. And what do you say? Oh, we just fell out of love. I mean, what are you going to do? You know, just, you know, just happens. We just fell out of love. Or people justify affairs that way. They've committed to somebody else and then they meet somebody that's not their spouse and they have an affair and, and, and we're like, well, you know, couldn't help it. Just fell in love, right? We didn't see that coming. We didn't mean to fall in love. We just fell in love. Didn't want to fall in love, just fell in love. That's the way we view love in our culture. But biblically, that's not love. Those are romantic feelings and they're nice and they're wonderful, but they're not love. Uh, love from a biblical perspective is not a noun. It's a verb. Love is something you do. Love is something you commit to. It's what's best for that other person. Another way to say that is that love is a commitment. It's not just a feeling. And, and therefore, there are times that you may not feel it. But when you make the marriage commitment at the heart of marriage is this commitment that says, hey, look, whether I'm feeling it right now or not, uh, we're going to work through whatever we got to work through. In order to get in, in order to build something together that is beautiful. And that's not always easy, but we're committed to that. And it's that basic commitment that makes marriage unique above among all the other relationships that you can have. And it leads to something. It leads to vulnerability. That's why the very next verse after Genesis 2:24, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. They become one flesh. The very next verse says Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now, you look at that right away and you think you may think, well, why do we have to know that? Like, why do you have to know they hung around naked all the time? I mean, I could have done without that. Right. I, I don't need to know. I mean, good for them. But close your door and we don't need to know. But it's actually a really profound statement because the reason they were both naked and felt no shame, uh, comfortable around each other in their nakedness 
is because they were doing CrossFit and uh, he had done a little lipo and, uh, you know, she done, you know, she was on keto diet. And no, that's not why. Um, the reason why is because of that commitment, because they had this bond, they had this commitment together that says, look, whether I'm feeling it or not, I'm devoted to you. Like, I'm not going anywhere. It's an unconditional love, an unconditional commitment that says, hey, even when it's hard, I, I'm sticking with you. And we're going to, you know, and, and that unconditional bond, that unconditional commitment is what gives marriage a unique opportunity for vulnerability to happen. Because you're not trying to prove yourself or anything. All right? That's where vulnerability can flourish. Last week, we talked about that. And we said this, it is that commitment, that promise that creates the kind of safety that authentic intimacy demands. It produces the tenacity it takes to learn to not hide, to work through conflict, to become less annoying, to become more mature, to learn to love like Jesus loves. Uh, Marriage at the heart of marriage is that commitment that says, look, I'm in again, whether I'm feeling or not, um, I'm in. We're going to work through this together. And it takes that. And when I think about that kind of commitment, it takes me back to. One of those moments as a parent that uh, you just have this snapshot or this movie in your mind of this moment. And it's a quote that from my youngest son, Caleb, that I mentioned earlier on his eighth birthday. And that quote comes into my head a lot when I think about the kind of commitment that marriage takes or other relationships and endeavors take. And it was on his. So he's just turning eight. And if you know Caleb and some of you do uh, from the very beginning, uh, he has Well, you know that thing in your mind, that thing in your brain that God put in there to make you afraid of things that are scary. Um, God just decided, oh, what the heck? Let's not put it in this kid. Okay, he's just totally fearless. And he's always been that way. And it's fun. I love that about him. He's an adventure on the way to happen. So you just never know uh, what adventure you're getting into when you're hanging out with him. But it's going to be an adventure. And I love that. And so this is his eighth birthday. So what he wanted to do on his eighth birthday was to get a bunch of his buddies together and go to a skate park uh, where they were, you know, skateboarding or inline skating. And so I was there, you know, obviously as a dad, as a chaperone. And so we had all these kids and, and I should have probably stopped this as a chaperone, but he was over in the part of the park where kids his age were not actually supposed to be. And it was this really big, like this huge, it was the biggest jump. There it was this huge jump. You went on this, you know, this really big ramp and, uh, and you had to go down and then this big jump into this pit. And uh, it was scary. And and I'm watching this happen there at the top of the ramp. I'm at the bottom looking up, listening. And again, I should have stopped it, but I have an excuse. And my excuse is I'm a pastor and I have to have sermon illustrations. And I thought this might just be a good sermon. illustration. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's worth the risk. So I'm I'm up there and, and I'm looking at them up there. So Caleb and this is where it gets to the quote. Caleb's talking to all these guys and he's like, look, I know this is scary. But if you commit 100 percent and you've got to commit 100 percent, but if you commit 100 percent to this jump, you can do it. And it's awesome. But if you don't commit 100 percent. If you're not all in, if you don't, if you don't, if you're not, if you don't commit 100 percent, you're not going to make it. You're going to get hurt. You could even die. That was a little dramatic, but he said it's his quote. So he said, you can get hurt. You can even die. So but but if you do it, it's awesome. So after that little motivational speech, about half the kids started crawling back down the ramp and a couple of the other kids decided to try it, but they did not commit all in. They tried to kind of do it and it didn't work well. 
They didn't get killed. They didn't get permanently injured as far as I know, but it wasn't pretty. Um, and then Caleb and one other guy, they went all in with it and they did complete it. It wasn't pretty either, but they completed it. But I've never forgotten that quote. And that quote about, hey, you've got to commit 100 percent. If it's true of a skate park, it is way true of marriage. You've got to commit 100 percent. Otherwise, you'll get hurt. But if you commit 100 percent. You can do this. And it's awesome when you do. And building something like marriage takes that kind of tenacity. It takes that kind of commitment. Um, yeah, I've been married for 30 years now. We just celebrated our 30th anniversary this summer. Uh, yeah, which is cool. And I'm really thankful for a wife. I'm not the easiest person to be married to. And, and a lot of you, if you hear my sermons, you're like, yeah, yeah, I know that. But, um, and, and I'm really thankful for a person who, when she, we stood up and she said, I do, she, she meant it. Because there have been times in our marriage where it was really hard to keep saying I do for her. Um, there were times for both of us that there was hurt to work through or issues to work through, right? Just part of marriage. I mean, it's part of two people becoming one. That's a big thing. It's going to happen. It's not going to be easy. Just, I mean, building an Ikea dresser can be frustrating sometimes. I mean, think about building marriage, right? And it takes that kind of tenacity to work through the hard to get to the good. And some of you I know right now, if you're married, a lot of you are, are in the hard you're in a time right now where it's just really, really hard to stay together and you're not feeling it. And let me encourage you to work through the hard to get to the good. There's no other way to get to the good than to work through the hard. It takes that kind of commitment. You can't kind of be married. That's the promise. At the heart of marriage is not a feeling, but a promise. That's the first design component. The next design component it's also crazy important, and that is priority. That when you and I make that commitment, we say, hey, you know what? You're going to be the top priority in my life. And I know church people who should be the top priority in your life. God, right? Jesus, right? I get that. But, and that's true. But when you say yes to this person, that's your next priority. And you actually become one and you're serving God together. You're living at that priority together. Let's look at how, how Genesis says it. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. Now, I'm going to translate this a little bit differently. This is in the international version, which makes this passive uh, to like one active verb, one passive verb. And some of you are like, who cares? But I care. So I'm going to change that a little bit. That is why a man leaves his father, mother and sticks to his wife. So when a person says I do and they get married, one of the things that they commit to they actually make two commitments. I'm going to leave one thing and I'm going to stick to something else. The King James is an old hundreds year old translation of the Bible. It says leave and cleave. I don't know what cleave means, but it sounds good because it rhymes with leave. So when you say I'm going to leave this one thing and I'm going to cleave or stick to another. Right. That's what you do in marriage. You say this is my new commitment. We're sticking together, We're, which means you have to let go. You leave one thing to stick to another. And what do you leave? Mom and dad. You leave that one home for another. Now that sounds like, well, okay, good. That's, that's easy. That's not easy. That, that doesn't just happen. And one of the reasons that a, a number of marriages get in trouble right off the bat is that one or more of the people in the marriage don't really leave. There's still dependency for approval from mom and dad or money from mom and dad or, uh, or 
emotional support for mom and dad or maybe just a controlling parent and you've never stood up to that controlling parent and you know that could so easily happen it's like one person said it one time she was saying you know there are three people in our marriage and when she said that i thought oh this could be so sweet she's going to say her her husband and god and i'm like oh that's so great that's good. but she said her her husband and his mom now some of you are moms and you're like oh that's so sweet that's perfect. I mean, especially if you get her out of the picture, it's really perfect. Right. But that's not the way to, that's not that's wrong. That's a bad answer. OK, so um, but it's easy for that to happen, it, especially the way we parent now, because we we're very involved parents, a lot of us. And, and we don't want our kids to hurt. We don't want them to need anything. We don't want them to have to work through stuff. So it's easy just to kind of continue that a little bit too long. And it's easy as a recipient or as a as that person coming into marriage to have one or more people in the marriage who either don't mind the dependency or don't want to stand up to a controlling parent. And, I, and I'm not saying that I'm never going to talk to mom and dad again. That's not the point. It's not that parents can't help out from time to time. That they can, and that's why, but not in a way that brings control and dependency or brings somebody else into that priority. And, and I got a lesson in this as a parent, because it can be hard to let go as a parent. Now, just this last week. So last week I started this series. We talked about marriage and I compared marriage, this crazy idea of marriage to a goal that I have, to an obsession that I have. And that is helicopter skiing in Alaska here. You can show the video um, that I showed last week. And uh, something I want to do three years from now. So I, so in front of, you know, 8,000 people, I talk about how, um, yeah, I've got this, uh, this goal and I want to take my two boys, Colin and Caleb, and we're going to go hella skiing in Alaska, right? So say that. So, um, that was Sunday morning and Sunday night, I texted Kenzie, who is my daughter-in-law, uh, Colin, my oldest is married to Kenzie. She's awesome. And, um, and so, uh, she, I, I was, I texted her about something and she texted back and said, Oh, it's so, so cool that you texted me right now. Cause I'm listening to the podcast of your sermon this morning. And she was very nice. She was saying, you know, you're about it. But then she said, this is a little text. She said the, the next text said the idea of you guys going hella skiing does make my stomach, stomach drop though. And then I realized Okay, now she now she clarified later. I'm not mad about it. I trust you with Colin. I I think it's great. I'm all for it. But she it's not like she was angry, but it but it it for the first time kind of reset something in me because I'm thinking, you know what? I can't. uh, I mean, Colin's married now. I can't just make plans with my son to do something really dangerous. And then his wife finds out about it, listening to a podcast of a sermon Um, that. You know, I, I need to rethink that. I need to regroup a little bit. And uh, because he's not my son as much as he is now her husband. Right. And she at least needs to be in the mix of that. Right. And and uh, so that's one thing. Right. It's just leave and stick. But there's other things we need to set aside or, or push down in priority as well. Not only our home, but other things that can fight for the priority of marriage. And it happens all the time. I know that experientially, uh, for example, um, jobs, career, right? When, when you say yes to being married and Paul talks about this in first Corinthians seven, he's like, look, if you want to focus on your calling and go all in, whether it's ministry or occupy, whatever it is, then great. Just don't get married because when you get married, you know, have a split devotion. And so don't, don't be married and act like you're not is the point. Like, this is a priority. And I just somehow missed that part of First Corinthians. 
And so for the first eight years, uh, my my priority was not first eight years of our marriage. My priority was not our marriage. Um, I mean, it was maybe number three or two or I don't know, but it wasn't number one. My top priority was my job. And I and, and it's part of an occupational hazard when you're doing church ministry because, you know, you're out saving the world for Jesus or whatever. And and it feels OK. And she just got to buck up and deal with it. And that was the wrong answer. And but that's true of any occupation, any career. It's just easy to do. And that may be going on for you. Um, there's another uh, I mean, hobbies can be that way. Hobbies are great. I mean, God have been a golf had to. I mean, it's awesome. Sometimes it's <laughs> actually not. I think Satan have been a golf, but um, kind of think of it. But uh, but, you know, it's good to have hobbies, but but it can go over. You know, we need to. Hey, is this challenging priority a little bit too much? There's another thing that can really challenge priority of marriage, too. In fact, there are, there are little things that are that are really important. They're called kids. Have you heard of those kids? It's always funny to me when I hear a, a, a couple without kids talk about maybe they're you know pregnant or they're going to adopt a child. And they say something like, well, I know it'll change our life some. <laughs> like, you have no idea. Like, you have no idea what's about to happen to you. And, and let me just let you know if you're looking ahead at that. It means you're going to be busier than you've ever dreamed, more tired, no sleep, worried, messy house, no sleep. I could keep going, right? I'd just be mean. To, but it's a good thing that kids are cute when you look at that list, right? And it's a good thing they have a no return policy at the hospital. You know, you don't just give them back. They're like, yeah, this thing's stinky and loud. And I don't know. Yeah, I can't sleep around. Um, you can't do that, right? And, and kids are cute and they are wonderful, but they demand Tremendous time, right? And tremendous focus. And it's a good focus. It is a big priority and should be. But what can easily happen, even with something as important as kids, is we put our marriage on the back burner because kids are loud, noisy, demanding, right? They, and, and so that's on the front burner. And what happens when you do that over time, and I see it a lot now with people my age, is you get to a place where um, like in, in, you know, at my age, you, you know, you send kids off and empty nests and all that. And so a lot of, it's happening to a lot of my friends right now, my age, where they send kids off and then, uh, you know, they look at each other as a married couple and they're like, who are you? <laughs> and why do you keep hanging around here all the time? Don't you go somewhere? Like, you know what? They have nothing in common anymore because their kids are gone. Now, they should be able to work through that, keep their promise and all that. But let's not let it get there. Right. I mean, and to say, OK, I'm going to we're going to do, you know, parenting and all that. But we're going to do it in a way where we prioritize our marriage. Um, and, and I remember for Christy and me, one of the commitments we had to do that is we would take a trip together every year. Um, we would just go somewhere together and grandparents would keep the kids or and and that, that was important to us just to, you know, we called it a honeymoon, a honeymoon every year to just reconnect. But I remember, especially Christians, non-Christians were cool about it, but Christians would say things like other Christian couples would, would you know how Christians can do the shaming, you know, thing. And it sounds spiritual, but it's really mean. And uh, and they would say things like, um, oh, well, I'm so glad you can do that. We would never do that because we we're we're really devoted to our kids. You know, there's nothing more important than raising the next generation or whatever. You know, our kids need it and all that. And uh, and. I didn't say what I was thinking all, you know, all the time, um, except I would say this, that that's just stupid, um, <laughs> because the greatest thing you can give to your kids, the greatest gift to your kids is a good marriage. 
And, and I grew up with that. I'm thankful for that. My parents would do that kind of stuff. And I'm, I grew up with the security of knowing that my kids wanted to be together without me. And that was a good thing, not a bad thing. So even kids can be too much of a priority if we let that happen. So I don't know what's going on. But when, when you say yes to marriage, you're saying yes to that being a priority. And Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 that I alluded to earlier does say, for those of you who are single, hey, you don't have to do this. <laughs> you don't have to get me. In fact, if you want to focus on your career, if you want to focus on ministry, if you want to, then don't do it. Don't get married. Because when you do, you've now got a new priority. The other component of this in the passage, though, that makes marriage work is purpose. It's not just saying the promise, I'm going to commit to you no matter what. I'm going to make you a priority and we're going to stay together, even though it's going to be miserable. We're going to hate it. It's OK. We're just going to get through it anyway and hope we die young because, you know, that, that's not that's not marriage. OK, um, God has a higher purpose for marriage. Um, he, he really wants it to be cool, like the Ikea furniture. He really wants it to be good. He really wants it to work. Um, it takes work to get there, but there's a bigger purpose. And that purpose, God defines as oneness. Two people becoming one. Let's look at the passage again. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Two people becoming one. The marriage is not just a partnership. It's not just a friendship. It's something deeper than that, even. It's two people building something unique. It's two people becoming one. Now, you can picture it this way, right? Uh, two, well, if we get there, two people becoming one. That's not normal. That doesn't just happen. This is not natural. Um, what will naturally happen is something more like this. Two people drifting apart over time. That's just that's what will naturally happen. I mean, the idea of oneness, two people becoming one. Is one of those things like hella skiing in Alaska or something in three years. It's one of those lofty goals. And if you have this goal out there and you think, well, we're not one now. So how are we going to get one? If I'm not ready to hella ski now, how am I going to get ready? And I have a plan. You know, there's years of planning involved in this for me to afford it, for me to be able to be ready for that. I'm not I'd die right now to do that if I did that. So I've, there's things I've got to do to get ready. So to get from where I am with any goal of significance to get from where I am to where I need to be. I've got to have some kind of plan or path to get there. And it's certainly true with a goal as lofty in marriage as two people becoming one. So how do we do that? Well, we need a plan and we need to work that plan. We will. If we're not intentional, we will drift. Sometimes we'll just zoom apart. Most of the time, it's the way one person said it that I heard years ago is creeping separateness. We won't even know it's happening because you start out pretty feeling in sync. And then over time, you just sort of just little way. You just sort of just slowly drift apart and don't even realize it until you're way down the road and think, who are you? Why are we still married? But it started way back here. So how do we how do we build a plan? And I encourage you, if you're especially if you're married to say, hey, what, do we have a plan? Are we being intentional? And here's some components of a plan just to get really practical. This is. Not Genesis uh, anymore, but this is just me saying, hey, how do we apply that? And the first component is protected time. In our world, it's so busy and there's so many escapes we can do with our time, screens and so on. If you and I aren't ruthless about protecting time for our marriage, then life is going to squeeze it out. In every married couple, I used to be able to do weddings and do marriage counseling. I don't get to do that anymore um, time-wise. But I'd always ask everybody... 
uh, that we married to say to agree to do this. A meeting every week, a date every week and a honeymoon every year. But I mean by meeting every week is to say, hey, you don't have to go anywhere. You can just do it in your house. But have a meeting every week where you're just talking about your marriage. If you have kids, talk about your kids. Like just make sure you're in sync. Get your calendars out. What's coming up? Communicate things that need to be communicated. Because if you're my kind of um, personality, I wouldn't even think about communicating stuff if I don't have to. Like I just don't even think about it. Like, hey, Christy, I'm thinking about going hella skiing with our boys. You know, I, I don't, I'm only think about it. I'll just plant, you know, plant or uh, um, just to talk about, hey, are there any, any questions we have, any dreams we have, any unheard, or any uh, unheard concerns or any hurts that, that maybe have been uncommunicated or any confusions or anything just to, just to say, hey, are we on the same page and, and let's talk through whatever we need to talk through. And then a date every week. It's not about what's wrong with our marriage and how can we make it better. A date is, and if you're married, if you've been married a long time, think back to when you were dating. It's this concept called having fun together. Remember that? Remember when you did that? Um, and, uh, and, and it's easy to leave that behind when you go into marriage and to say, no, we're not going to leave that behind. So you just find things to do that are fun and you enjoy each other. And it's not about the kids. It's not about the concerns. It's not about stuff. You just a date. You have fun and a honeymoon every year. To reconnect. We talked about that a little bit earlier. And it doesn't have to be fancy. I mean, in the first years of our marriage, you know, I was in grad school. We were right at poverty level as income. And it's not like we were off doing crazy, you know, expensive things. But we got creative to have a honeymoon every year just to go for a few days and and be with each other. Protected time has to be part of a plan. Otherwise, you're not going to move toward oneness if you don't have protected time for each other. Now, other words, make sure you have squad goals, you know, the shared activities, shared goals. Um, it, it can be simple things, surfacey things that are still important, like hobbies. It's good to have your own hobbies, but that's fine. But what do you do together that you both enjoy? And at a deeper level, have some squad goals, have some activities that are deeper than just interests or hobbies. Like. You know, make marriage not just about what you like to do, but make marriage about what God has called us to do, about something really significant. So how are you growing spiritually together? How are you serving God together as a couple? Like that builds a great marriage and really builds oneness. So, I mean, what you're doing right now, coming to church together, that's awesome. And then, you know, go home, eat lunch or whatever and talk about what we talked about today and what is God saying to us and all that. That will propel you spiritually together. Get in a small group together. Begin to serve together. Serve on a team in church and kids zone or student ministry or first impressions or production or whatever it is. Or serve with one of our community partners and change the world together. But think, okay, how are we going to do something bigger together? Transcendent goals. If you want to find oneness. Conflict resolution. I don't mean here you know, plan to have a conflict, you know, pick a fight today. Uh, you don't have to plan to have a conflict. You will have a conflict. But when you have conflicts, you could either one or two things will happen. If you conflict badly resolved, will pull you apart. But if you do it the right way, it will bring you together closer than if you never had the conflict. So conflict is an opportunity because conflict brings out hurt. Conflict brings out awareness. It's it's really an opportunity if you see it that way. And conflict rightly resolved is not me versus you. It's us together working through this in order to get to what's on the other side. 
And that is greater understanding, greater closeness. And it doesn't mean you plan to have conflict, but when you have conflict, have a plan to how to handle conflict. It's not a natural skill. And that's why, you know, earlier I talked about the Family Now conference on September 21st. Uh, one of the big breakouts, Christy and I will be going to this one so you can join us, is to learn how to fight. Uh, is to learn how to, how to deal with conflict in a way that leads to somewhere uh, really good toward oneness. And then pursuit of wholeness. And here's all I mean by this. If you have two people trying to become one, that's going to be a lot healthier union if you have two healthy people trying to become one versus two really unhealthy people trying to become one. Like if you're building a piece of furniture and if you start with rotten wood, it's not going to be that great a piece of furniture. And so you're just saying, look, if we do, let's get increasingly healthy as individuals. And I'm not talking about your spouse. I'm talking about you. And say, okay, do what you got to do, you know, to say, I'm going to deal with my baggage. I'm going to deal with the stuff that's not working in my life, not just for me, but for the sake of my marriage. So you put all that together and you say, let's build a plan where this is the picture of our marriage. And right now, if you're married, I I just want you to think about what what your picture is. Okay, so I'm going to give you three pictures and talk about it. I'm going to cause some trouble because this can lead to kind of heavy conversations later. Sorry. You're like, I was just watching football, dude. I mean, come on. But anyway, uh, um, one of them is just this, one of them is this. Maybe your marriage right now, you'd say, hey, I think, I mean, it's not perfect, but we're, we're on the way to more togetherness. Or maybe you'd say, no, this is kind of the picture of our marriage. We kind of have two parallel lives. You're doing your thing. I'm doing my thing. We're kind of roommates. High five every once in a while. And that's where we are. Or maybe you'd say, no, I, I think actually we're just sort of that creeping separateness thing right now. That's just probably the story of our marriage. And that's okay. It's just not okay to stay there and to say, okay, how are we going to change that? How are we going to, how are we going to be a marriage that's increasing in oneness? Because God really wants this part of life to be good. And he designed marriage to be a really cool thing like that Ikea furniture, you know, but you get the box at the start and he gives some instructions, right? And and so when you look at the basic design, and by the way, God's deal is better than Ikea. His instructions are better. The result is even better, right? But, um, but you have to build it. And so whether you're looking ahead to marriage or especially if you're in marriage, which one of these three components would you say, hey, right now, this is probably the one we need to work on? Is it promise? Um, are you individually kind of cheating the promise or together you just it's just a hard time and and the easiest thing to do is just be to bail because you're not feeling it right now and are you willing to work through the good or work through the hard to get to the good some of you may be you know living together without marriage because you know marriage is so messed up now in our culture it's easy to do that and say hey we're just going to live together without that because you know that seems to be and and then maybe we'll get married one day and we'll kind of at least know if we're compatible or not kind of taking our relationship on a test drive and that's normal in our culture, and I'm sure there's a lot of people in that situation. Biblically, God would say, no, when you live together, you need to be married. There needs to be this commitment at the, at the beginning. And, and, uh, and I would consider, I would urge you to consider what God says and what his design is and, and talk to a pastor or something about, hey, what is that? And should we do that? Um, but I'd encourage you to hey, either back off or move ahead, but make a decision. Um, for you and for your relationship, you know, you would think that living together before marriage would make marriage better, but it doesn't do that. Even empirically, like just take the Bible out of it. Empirically, 
if you live together before marriage, you double your chances of being divorced once you get married. Which you would think, well, that doesn't make sense. But I think the reason that happens is because your commitment muscles are flabby. So you've had a relationship without being committed, and then somehow you say, I do, and you think, well, that's going to change it. It's, it's not. I mean, you can transcend that by, you know, learn, but just something to consider. Um, if that's the situation, I'm, I'll love you no matter what, but consider what God says here. Um, priority. Maybe that's your deal to say, you know, there are competing priorities and we need to work through that. Or I don't feel like your priority or I don't feel like I'm making you a priority. We just have that conversation. Or maybe it's purpose and plan that we talked about a little bit ago. And the other cool thing about this is, you know, like in Ikea, you get the box, you get the directions, you get the Allen wrench. With this marriage thing, you get something way better than that because you also get God. At least the opportunity, if you're open to God in your life, because like Jesus said, what God has joined together, let no one separate. It's not just us building it on our own. God wants to like crawl down on the floor with us, with the Allen wrench and say, hey, let's do this. Which is pretty cool. If we're willing to say, "Okay, God, this is hard to help us do this. And, And he is available to be in our life. And he's available to help us. And so wherever we're coming from, whether you're single and looking ahead maybe at this or you're in it, let's commit this part of life to God. Let's bow our head together. And, you know, prayer is just talking to God in your own words. And so I just encourage you to talk to God right now and guide us. Uh, Some of you, I don't know where you're coming from in this. Some of you are single and looking ahead at this. And just commit this part of life to God. Ask God to guide you in this. Some of you are newly married and excited and it's awesome. And just ask God to help you build something really cool together. And for those of you right now who have been married a while and maybe it's really hard right now, just ask God to help you get through the hard to build something good. And for all of us, we have an opportunity regardless of our married status, to open up our life to God, his presence in our life. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross. He died to take away the penalty of sin. He came to forgive us from our sin so that we could be clean. We could have a relationship with God, that he could come into our life, begin to change us. And just open up your life right now to begin a relationship with God. You don't have to be good enough for him. You can't. You just say, yes, thank you. He offers everything the Bible says is a gift. And you say, yes. And for many of you, it's just an opportunity right now to say, you know what, I'm in. God, come into my life, begin to change me. And that also means for those who are married, God, come into our marriage and begin to help us build this thing. Father, thank you for all that you want for us and that you're more than committed to helping us get there. In Jesus' name, amen.